Hi, I'm Mark Lynch of the Project on Middle East Political Science. Welcome back to the PullMaps podcast, our series of conversations with leading scholars in the field. Uh, with me today is Renaud Linders. He's from the Department of War Studies at King's College, London. Uh, Renaud, welcome to uh, the podcast. Thanks for having me. So you've been doing a lot of research on uh, the early days of, uh, of the Syria uprising. Uh, you contributed a chapter uh, to, uh, to our book, um, on, on you know, thinking through the causes of the Syrian uprising, and I know you've been doing research on uh, various aspects of, uh, of those early days. Tell us a little bit about, you know, what, what have you found in that research that challenges conventional understandings of, uh, of the origins of the Syrian uprising? Mm. Well, the, the, um, my original work uh, on the onset of, the, of mobilization in Syria uh, really tried to unpick events and processes um, fr from from day one uh, of of the uprising and i i situated day one in in dara in the in the south uh, south uh, southeast of the country so um i tried to figure out why it was at the time uh, why it was in a in a relatively peripheral backwaters kind of area that the uprising started because not only the regime seemed to not have anticipated this to happen there, uh, but also many of my Syrian activist-type friends, um, their noses were geared towards Aleppo, Damascus, the big cities, and they, you know, they associated something, you know, profound as a revolution and an uprising to spill over from the from other parts of the region to Syria to happen in, in you know, modern places where there's modern politics and mobilization and so on. So th that was one question I had. Um, I also wondered um, how, in the face of fierce regime repression, because that, that really happened from, from day one as well, um, the protesters managed to, um, to sustain their protest. Um, and in in, in that context as well, uh, where did their, you know, tremendously creative repertoire of protesting, making claims come from in a country and an area where uh, such claim making was not um, part of, of daily life? And, and uh, you know, under an authoritarian regime that had made sure that um, there was no such public um, uh, uh, politics. So these were some of the questions that I had. Um, now, researching it was was difficult um, f because I, I didn't go. Uh, I had been in Dara a couple of years before that, but uh, I didn't know the place intimately. So lots of it was via um, making use of the enormous amount of social media that came out of the pl um, out of the place and, and other early rising uh, mm -hmm. towns and, and places in, in, in Syria. Um, and uh, Skype interviews, uh, some uh, people from Dara who um, who had left uh, already at that at that stage become a refugee. Um, yeah, and I kind of tried to assemble the story mm -hmm. accordingly, and I arrived at um, underscoring the importance of social networks uh, embedded in uh, a couple of phenomena: the, the clan structure, the importance of clans in uh, in Dara and other early rises, um, the importance of uh, cross-border uh, traffic, um, you know, can be smuggling, can be uh, legal or illegal taxis uh, going back and forth, uh, collaboration with, with uh, border guards and so on, uh, truck drivers, um, petty crime as well, um, 
and circular labor migration from lots of people who uh, in Dana, where the economy was basically non-existent, um, people just just went abroad to neighboring Lebanon, Jordan, uh, but also to the Gulf and further further on. Mm -hmm. And I I thought that all these networks together uh, gave me some uh, material to to try and try better to understand uh, where these repertoires came from of protesting. Um, how they sustained in the face of uh, regime brutality uh, their social capital and so on. Let's explore that a little bit because what, why didn't uh, regime repression work in those early days when there was still a great deal of fear um, of, you know, the state had a long history of brutality and certainly protesters knew what they were facing when they rose up. Mm-hmm. How were they able to sustain protests and, and, and to see them spread so rapidly? Uh, given both the expectation and the reality of regime brutality? Well, I, I think the, the, the repression as such was to be expected. Uh, I mean, the regime, of course, had a, a track record of uh, you know, brutal repression and violence uh, when it comes to protest or, or any form of dissent. Um, but I think it, what mattered a, a great deal, uh, and that brings me back to the, the, the clan kind of the importance of clans in, in, in the early early mobilization. What matters mattered a great deal, it was the, 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 the form of repression. Um, I, I think, the, um, I mean, in hindsight, lots of people have said that it was a mistake of the regime to have applied such vast levels of repression. It was counterproductive, it was bound to be. Uh, but I think that's, you know, beyond moral considerations. Um, I don't think the repression as such was a mistake. But the way it was done really um, caused people from Dara to be to be heavily insulted, uh, because the, the the brutality of the regime touched on some really sensitive registers, including uh, you know uh, the dignity and 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 and, uh, and honor of, of women. Uh, we're talking about the the episodes where uh, these two doctors, female doctor, a female doctor and, a, and, a, and an activist from Damascus were. Uh, arrested and and very quickly rumors spread that they were being abused and, and, and raped and, and so on. Or their, their hair was shaven off and, and all these things. Um, the uh, arrest of children, uh, which then came in response to the arrest of the women, um, it it really um, uh, touched a nerve in the sense that it, uh, the, the 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 fear for repression was replaced replaced, made way for, for, for outrage, uh, which was very mobilizing and activating. And so I think, yeah, people knew that the, bruta- the regime would be brutal in its response, but they also felt enabled by so many people joining them. And of course, they were also looking abroad, where they had seen in Tunisia and Egypt that, that uh, regime repression uh, hadn't worked. For a regime so experienced in repression, why did they get that calculus so wrong? Why didn't they have more effective forms of, of control and intimidation? Well, they, they quickly caught up, caught up with this, but I, I think initially it really came down to miscalculations of um, individuals who were stationed in, in uh, Dara exactly because they had not been uh, high flyers in the regime. Uh, a cousin of Bashar al-Assad, the president, um, Atif Najib, he was head of the security Muhabarat, uh, and he uh, well, there are stories about him that he was uh, basically uh, uh, sent to Dara because he had uh, 
had a disastrous uh, career in, in, in Damascus um, and, and had not been very successful. So they, they put basically the people there that they, uh, they wanted to get rid of. And so he was in charge of, of the early responses of the regime. And, uh, and I think he, he, you know, he, he miscalculated. And, 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 uh, and was it your sense then that the protests spread uh, kind of by demonstration effect, you know, people in other parts of Syria saw what was happening and decided to rise up too? Or was it what you were saying before, that it that traveled through social networks and so it was basically the same outrage and protest that was being you know, kind of brought from village to village, town to town, through these networks? Well, initially I, I, I thought that it was indeed... Uh, via these networks. I mean, basically reasoning that if these networks indeed had played a role in facilitating and enabling mass protest in Dara, then something of these sim- similar kind of networks should be should be found in, in other uh, early rise-up places, such as uh, Latakia and, uh, and Homs and so on. Um, I think you could make that argument, but I, I think in hindsight, well, we've moved on, uh, that you know, in the beginning, the, the, um, all eyes were set on who is going to move first. Uh, it wasn't a question anymore about whether it would happen. It was only a question who would move first and where. Um, and I think these networks explain maybe partly uh, why it started in Dana, but in these other places, I think... It, it, it was really nationwide waiting to happen. Yeah, and I think there were just simultaneous local... Uh, uprisings um, and uh, that actually then while going into the streets try to con- make connections between these different uprisings and, and even you know by referring to protests in Dara uh, in Homs and then there would be a, an atrocity a regime atrocity then you know the other other protesters elsewhere would have ammunition or mm-hmm. you know uh, slogans to uh, to mobilize with so it was, yeah. It was but, at, but at a certain point, though, that, that snowball stops and the regime's base of support seems to reconsolidate at, the, at, at some point. Why, why do some sectors of Syrian society, some cities, some social classes, some ethnic groups not join in? Well, the, I think ultimately because Syria is, you know, there is a strong sense of Syrian nationalism, uh, even now, five years after the conflict, many many people in the conflict protagonists would still present themselves as strongly in Syrian terms. Um, but it's, it's, it, at the same time, it's, it's, uh, there's locality, localisms, uh, local identity are, are so important. So I think the, why it happened in certain places and others are ultimately a function of local characteristics. So, for example, in Aleppo, where it took quite a long time before anything moved there, uh, much to the, uh, yeah, the discontent of, mm-hmm. of many other uh, protesters in the country, um, you know, it was mainly, be, be, yeah, just a, maybe in a, a very conservative uh, business middle class that felt that there was too much to lose uh, by getting involved in all this uh, and, and really put a stop on on mobilization at least at least uh, for yeah, for for a long time initially. So for some people, the uh, the outrage overwhelmed their rational calculations, but for others, it didn't. Yeah, no, I think I think there, people have different motivations to join in. Uh, some would be generally generally outraged, 
forget about their you know fears and, right. and going to the streets um, regardless. Uh, others see opportunities and and capitalize on the moment. Uh, yeah. Let's change gears uh, for the last few minutes. Uh, so you're doing research right now on um, on this question of uh, defections from the army, and uh, and you've got some evidence suggesting that the narrative that we've had isn't uh, isn't isn't quite right about who and when was defecting from the army. Let's tell us a little bit about what what are you finding and why is it significant. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe to put that a little bit in a context, uh, I, you know, we are five years down the road now, and and to be honest, you know, the more every day the, the conflict moves on, goes on, I, I get more questions and, and answers. Um, so I thought it it might actually be useful to to go back to the origins or the mm-hmm. onset of the early days of the of the of the of the crisis or the conflict. Now, you have two, at least two major narratives, master narratives, uh, as I call them, on the conflict. One very much presented and propagated by the regime that uh, emphasizes jihadists, takfiris, as they call them, uh, use of violence uh, uh, motivated by sectarianism. Then you have an opposition narrative that, you know, there's, of course, uh, lots of disagreement on the, on the, all the details. But they large, by and large agree on a narrative of a peaceful uprising met by repression um, that have uh, causing uh, soldiers and officers to to defect because they they refused orders to shoot on at um, at protesters, and then they joined the demonstrators inherently militarizing the protests. Um, now these narratives are meant to f- for revolutionary and counter-revolutionary mobilization or justification and they are still by and large uh, the same five years down the road. Um, So I went back to these narratives and I started to get some doubts about the defection uh, narrative. Um, What I I found so far um, is that the uh, defections did, did play, they were significant they did play a role in uh, bringing about an insurgency um, in, in, in Syria. Uh, but I'm very doubtful, I'm very, um, yeah, I question the, the relevance of the defections in the first uh, six months or so of the crisis, or, or even the, up from March, the start of the, uh, the so-called revolution, up to December, November uh, 2011. Uh, the, uh, much of the violence uh, that occurred uh, predated uh, significant defections. Um, a lot of people who left the army uh, did so while on leave uh, with their families, uh, and it, and in fact, uh, 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 approximately half of them didn't uh, didn't defect. They actually deserted and left right. left the country and didn't join uh, any of the the protest movement or armed groups uh, associated with the Free Syrian Army later on. Um, and then uh, a lot of the violence that did take place, uh, small-scale, disorganized, fragmented attacks uh, up till the end of 2011, weren't carried out by uh, defector groups, but were done by other people. And, and much of that violence was actually uh, profoundly sectarian in nature, uh, in places like where, where there is a mixed sectarian uh, population, uh, Homs, Hama, Tartus, Latakia. And so the defections uh, came later, and 
played a role at a, at a later point, but you think that you're not seeing as much of a role in those early days. Well, there were some, I mean, there were some of the early brigades yeah. later joining the Free Syrian Army uh, that did ta- uh, carry out attacks, like, uh, like in Homs mainly, um, uh, but um, not at the scale that matches the, the level of violence that, uh, that can be traced back in, in that period. Well, thanks. This, this is really interesting. I mean, I think there's a lot uh, still to be researched and written about those early days of the uprising. And uh, it's great that you're digging into these, uh, these different processes and details. Um, so, uh, Reynold Linders, thank you for joining us on the Pull Maps podcast. Thank you very much.